we talk about a lot of the stresses and issues that veterans have. In my opinion, majority of them are not PTSD from deploying overseas. Majority of them are exactly what we're talking about now. It's that transition stress of getting out of the military, figuring out what your purpose and passions are, and then figuring out how to also provide for your family and to either fulfill those purpose and passions or to find a job that provides you enough where you can fulfill them on the side. Is that much of a, is that, that's not much of a change for you, right? My name is Kerry Kite. I used to load bombs in the Air Force, and now I'm a writer, a filmmaker, and an entrepreneur. Through using the post 9-11 GI Bill to go to college, working hourly jobs to pay the bills, and freelancing my way into a career, I've studied what it takes to successfully transition from service to civilian. And that study has become a conversation. On this podcast, I speak to other veterans, successful artists and entrepreneurs about their transition, what they did well, where they failed, what they learned, and most importantly, how they applied their skills. Episode 64 features Army veteran and serial entrepreneur Eric Bartel. He's the founder of Echelon, a clean energy drink found on military bases worldwide and available direct to consumer on Amazon. Welcome. This is Veteran Made. All right. Good morning, Eric Bartel. Welcome to Veteran Made. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Glad we could uh, we could finally make this work. So, for those that uh, that don't know who you are, would love if you could give us a brief primer kind of on on who you are and and where and when you served, um, and then I'll jump in with some specific questions and we'll go from there. Awesome, sounds good. Um, first and foremost, uh, I like to the title "Dad." It's my favorite one so far. Um, so, I'm a father of two boys, two and four. Um, so, my life is hectic. On that front, um, I'm an Army vet, so I was an infantry officer from 2013 to 2018 when I got out, active duty. Um, my entire Army career was with the 101st Rock Hassan, um, so some people are going to hate that, but suck it up. And yeah, I got out, I uh, ran a nonprofit. Uh, worked specifically in fitness, um, did a lot of stuff on the fitness side with brands and publications, and then have uh, kind of bounced around some startups and now run a, a little project we call Echelon, and and that's my day to day. Awesome, yeah, I love uh, I love that first title. I've got a I've got a three and a half year old daughter, so kind of right right in between yours and and we're getting ready to start working on number two, so. Uh, excited to have the hectic, uh, hectic experience that, that you're talking about. And, um, you know, a little hectic around here too, but it's fun. Um, so I'd love to, I'd love to start with actually your transition into the military. Uh, I know you had an interesting experience in, in college, uh, where, where you went to college first and, and kind of didn't have the best experience with your peers and it kind of led you into the military. Um, I, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I grew up in Chicago, in the city. Um, very frank, I was pretty poor. Uh, I was homeless when I was a kid. Um, and a single mother didn't know how to make ends meet most of the time. And so uh, I really, as a kid, relied heavily on school and sports. And so that kind of provided the backbone for who I would become and am. Um, but yeah, so was lucky enough to get into uh, a few colleges uh, just based off of academics and needs based and ended up going to DePaul University, which is in Chicago, a great private school. Um, and honestly, I can't speak highly enough of that actual school. But when I got there, I felt very, um, 
ostracized, I guess, because I had just worked my ass off to get to school. I had a full ride. Um, and I took it very seriously. I was probably more serious than I should have been as an 18 year old. I was not having fun, but I was also working 40 hours while I was at school, um, and providing for myself as well. So all I did was look around and kind of, I couldn't find my tribe is kind of how I put it. Right. I, it was a bunch of rich kids who mommy and daddy paid for them to go to school. It was not a cheap school to attend. Um, and they were just kind of wasting, in my opinion, wasting it away. They were just partying. They weren't taking anything serious. They just, I felt like um, babysitting in a lot of ways. Like I could not find a friend group. And so I was like, you know, maybe college is not for me. And my freshman year, probably after I think like the first quarter, I told my mom I was just going to enlist in the army. And uh, as you can imagine, she probably didn't take that very well. I was the first in my family to go to college. I had a full ride scholarship to be there. And she was like, you're throwing all of that away. Everything you've pretty much worked for to just join the army. Um, so we came to a consensus that I would enlist in the army reserves and at least give my first year a go, which honestly was probably the saving grace of, of that because I ended up uh, enlisting in the army reserves, they told me I had to either drill at my unit or I had to drill with, uh, the ROTC program at DePaul. And I didn't know anything about ROTC outside of being in high school. I knew JRTC was kind of lame. Um, but my unit was like two hours away and I was like, you know what, I'll do that. <laughs> and so I got plugged in with the ROTC program and it was talk about like finding your people. It was just hard hitters, go getters, no nonsense. They took everything serious. They were there for a reason and they knew exactly what their purpose was. Um, and so I plugged in with those guys and it was a really solid mix of prior enlisted and um, just regular kind of cadets. But um, those prior enlisted kind of built the backbone. A lot of them were Ranger Regiment and whatnot, some Special Forces guys that put us on the right track. And from that point on, it was like, loved it. College was great. I was working still, but I had this group of friends that I really identified with and were actually pushing me to be better than anything I kind of already had aspirationally. And uh, yeah, I did that. I ended up playing rugby for a little while my senior year and loved that as well. Um, it was taking care of a lot of the, like, the gym has always been an outlet for me. Fitness has always been an outlet for me and, and sports have always been an outlet for me and go, choosing to go to DePaul. I chose kind of education and academics over sports. I could have gone and played like D2 football in the middle of nowhere. Um, but I was like, you know what? It, let's make the hard right decision here. That D2 football program is not going to take me anywhere. Um, but that gave me that other outlet of just aggressiveness. I just want to run headfirst into things a lot of times. And so I kind of, by senior year, was just in a very good place and graduated and went straight to the Army two weeks later. It seems like you were primed both to to join the military and then to be an entrepreneur. Because as I listen to you talk about those things, you're talking about being able to uh, consider options and then choose the the better of the options or the or the best options for yourself. Thinking kind of like future forward, right? Which I don't think most eighteen year olds. I certainly didn't think that way. Um, and and I'm, I'm sure you know some of the 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 challenges of, of your upbringing probably helped put you in that position. But when you look back on like that time and those moments, do you 
do you see a correlation between your entrepreneurial journey and like that being part of the foundation? I think there's a number of factors. That's definitely one of them. I mean, I've always, like you said, I was forced to be kind of responsible and forward thinking from a young age, because even as a kid, I was, I had to remind my mom, like, Hey, did you pay the rent? Like, do you have enough money to pay the bills? Um, Cause that wasn't, she wasn't that person. And so that kind of put in me from a young age to kind of be like, all right, let's, it puts that survival kind of part of your brain into action and develops it further and further, obviously, depending on how long you have to do that. But even nowadays, I, I, I talk about it every now and then, like even I live pretty comfortably, but there's always that survival function in the back of my brain. Like the rug can always be pulled out from under you and you have to be 10 steps ahead of it. Yeah. The, the decision to, to go the cadet route, to go ROTC instead of enlisting, looking back, are you, are you happy with that decision? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, let's be very frank. You make a lot more money. You have a lot more say from the very jump. Um, you don't get to do as fun of things per se, right? Like you don't always get to do the cool guy stuff, but you also don't have to suffer through the bullshit. And I think a lot of, a lot of the enlisted guys I had who were high potential suffered because of that potential, right? You, you know, 20 enlisted guys who you served with, who could have been an officer, who would have probably make really good decisions in an officer and were, if anything, um, kind of pissed off all the time. And it was because they're like, I can, I can do this. Right. But they enlisted and they didn't have that power because they were private. They were specialists. Right. But very much were a leader, right. There's those natural leadership tendencies. Um, and I, and I think if you think of yourself as a leader, it's really hard to be an E3 under someone who's an E5, E6, that's only an E5, E6 because they've been there longer than you, but probably don't know shit. Right. Yeah. I, being an officer was not ever something I thought about in the Air Force, but I did think I had some great mentors, yeah. senior enlisted flight chiefs. And, and I remember thinking, and I've talked about this before, but I remember thinking like, oh, I, I can... I can work really hard to plow through those NCO ranks to try to get to senior enlisted and, and have a position like, like it is that you're describing, have the opportunity for influence and authority like you're describing. Um, but it's funny. I look back now <clears throat> and all my friends that, that enlisted when I enlisted, we were all 18. They're all, you know, just senior enlisted now, or they made senior enlisted like a couple of years ago. And it's like, oh man, that would have been a long fucking time to have to grind through a lot of the bullshit that I wouldn't have wanted to grind through just to get to that one or two opportunities to have that kind of influence and to, and to, you know, run, run the ball that way. And I look back now and I'm like, Oh man, I'm, I'm glad I made the decision to do four and, and get out and, and go through the entrepreneurial journey now. But everything you're saying from the officer side makes, makes a ton of sense. Um, what, what was the transition like out of the military for you? What made you decision? What made you decide um, to, is it four years or five years? I did five years. Five. What, what made you decide to just do the five and, and get out and, and pursue some other things? Um, it was a kind of a two factor decision. Um, on the front end, I feel like I very much had done a lot of what I wanted to do in the army. Um, I was also very young and, and, uh, in a way disenfranchised 
from it's the one thing I think of the officer side, there's a lot of bureaucracy. It's there's a lot less leadership levels. So every leader above you in infinitely impacts kind of your environment. Um, so partly I was like, all right, I did kind of everything I wanted to do. I got to do all my infantry things. I got to deploy. Um, I got to lead soldiers here. I got to lead soldiers overseas and, and do lots of cool things. And the next step in the officer kind of career is to go to captain's career course, become a company commander. And then everything after that, you're like so far removed from the troops. It's, it's very much not what I would join the army to do. Right. And so I was like, all right, I can stay in and kind of go through captain's career course, have a couple company commands, and then probably inevitably get off out again in like maybe two, three years. Um, or I can kind of get out now with this experience and see what else is out there. Um, at the same time, I was actually going through the medical process of I had back when I was a lieutenant, uh, tore my meniscus. Um, and so throughout my career, and I mean, I'm sure you guys have something similar in the Air Force, but especially in the infantry, you don't go to sick call, especially as an officer, you don't go to sick call. Um, and so I tore that uh, in training and was trying to nurse it back to health left and right. Um, but it was pretty bad, uh, to the point where I couldn't like run two miles very effectively. And so they pretty much gave me the point, got to the point where they're like, you can reclass out of the infantry or you can get out. And so rather than reclassing, I decided that, you know, five years and everything I wanted to accomplish pretty much is accomplished. It's, it's a sign that it's time for my next kind of chapter. Yeah. Since I mean, you've become a legitimate like brand builder and you've been, you know, working obviously in operations, but also quite a bit like on the marketing side, that initial front for you, did you, did you know what you wanted to do next? Did you have like an idea or an inkling or something you wanted to pursue at a direction you wanted to go? Or, or was it kind of wide open spaces for you? Are you talking about getting out of the, the army? Yeah. Yeah. I had absolutely very little idea. Um, and what I thought I was going to do, obviously, uh, or maybe not obviously, didn't happen at all. Um, I originally planned on getting out and going back to grad school to get my doctorate in psychology. And I was going to try and go towards clinical psychology. Um, I always loved psychology. It always came really easy for me. And so I was like, this is an obvious next step, right? Everyone gets out of the military, like, I'm going to go back to school. Um, I probably studied for an hour and was like, no, <laughs> this is not what I want to do. Um, and so that's actually when I started, uh, looking up, what was I going to do on the side? Like, what am I actually passionate about? And that's when I started looking into fitness. And so I was looking for scholarships for, uh, certification. And I was like, All right, I'm going to go back to school. And I'm going to get my doctorate. I want to do something I care about on the side while I'm suffering through classes. And I was like, I'm going to try and do personal training because I was already doing that a bit in the army. Um, one of the things I started doing probably in the later tenure of my platoon leader time was I would take some of my younger soldiers to the gym and I would help them. A lot of them came in scrawny, 120 buck, like soaking wet. And all they wanted to do was gain muscle. And so, I mean, I was at the time probably, I was between 210, 220, but like pretty strong and, and big. And so they would always come to me and be like, hey, how do I do this? How do I do that? 
Um, and so I started developing that. It's actually how I started my Instagram too. Um, but I would take one or two of them to the gym every day at lunch and just kind of teach them kind of strength training. And so eventually they were like, Hey, can you just like scale this digitally somehow? And I was, I was sending it through Snapchat. That's what I had at the time. Yeah. I would send them my workout of the day through Snapchat and they're like, dude, just post it on Instagram. And I'm like, I don't have an Instagram. I don't really know anything about Instagram. My wife has Instagram. That's what I know about it. I'm pretty sure it's for chicks. Um, but so yeah, they, they forced me to open an Instagram account. I started posting workouts on there and my following just kind of grew from there specifically like within the military and then eventually bigger. Um, but that's all thanks to them. Um, but yeah, so I had that passion for fitness and I ended up linking in pretty much with this really small nonprofit that just started called FitOps, which I know you've had Matt on here. Um, so at the time they had just did their first class. Um, and they just, they were young and really didn't know what they were doing. Um, and so I applied for it though, cause I didn't know that. Um, and they reached out and they're like, Hey, we saw your resume. You have a lot of operations experience. You are really tied into the military community. You already have like a fitness following in the military community. We'd love to not only obviously put you through the program, but we'd love to actually get you to consult for us and maybe come on as staff when you're out of the army. Um, and I was like, okay, cool. Like, so they flew me out to Texas. I saw their camp. I like very quickly rewrote their entire curriculum and, and protocol. Um, did a lot of their operations right off the bat, just kind of seeing what they did. And, uh, and while I was getting out of the army, I was running fit ops. And then when I was out of the army, I came on full-time for fit ops. And then within six months, I, I was executive director and took over that program. And you said this, this was, you got the Instagram in 2017. I think I started Instagram like, yeah, 2017, maybe end of it. 2017. How quickly did you start to kind of understand like engagement audience, like how that kind of thing worked? Like when, when FitOps came back to you and said, Hey, you got a great resume. We see you're plugged into the community. We see that you have a good following within the community. Like how much intention were you putting into like those posts in your approach and how much of it was you're just kind of posting what you're doing and then the content took off? It was, I mean, still even in 2017, it was like the very friendly algorithm that was chronological. Right. I, I, I don't think I really knew anything about algorithms back then, to be very frank. Nowadays, I can tell you better than Instagram can tell you what their algorithm is doing. Back then, it was, I'm going to post my workouts. And lucky for me, people would share them or word of mouth just because the military community, I mean, it's big, but it's so small digitally right. that it just kind of, it would spread very quickly. Um, but I was I was posting workouts and, yeah. and the occasional thirst trap. <laughs> yeah. So um, that, that period of time, very quick from... from well, actually, I want to back up for a second. So what was your what was your day-to-day -day like? What was your approach like as you were still commissioned, still in the army? You were you were running this Instagram, you were kind of like running your programs for your troops and then now kind of for other people. And then you were transitioning into this opportunity with with FitOps, kind of like as all that was happening. And you were still studying, right? No, I stopped that. Let's you see. Stopped. Okay, cool. Um, so what was that period of time like? Because, and that's important to our audience, right? Because our audience right now, we, we all tend to think, 
oh, I, I can do these things after I separate, after I retire. I'm going to take, you know, two years to plan for taps and then I'm going to take my, you know, gap year or whatever it might be. And then I'm going to like plan for these things and then I'm going to go do those things. But that can end up being like a three to five year period of time where that's a lot of dead time, a lot of wasted time. How were you using the time right there at the end? And like, when did you start to realize that you could kind of compound experiences and compound uh, responsibilities in multiple ways to kind of move yourself forward? Yeah, I think the one piece of advice I always tell people when they're separating too is you need to plan your separation before you start separating, right? And I'm sure you've told them multiple times, but that is, I started planning for what I would do the day I was out one year prior. And so I started looking into grad schools. I started looking into what I was going to do on the side to make side money because I knew I wasn't just going to rely on BAH one year out. And then before I notified anyone I was getting out, I already had my plan. And then from there, that's when I started putting stuff into place, right? Because if I had just said, oh, I'm going to go to grad school when I get out, well, shit, I would have been sitting on my hands because that's not what I ended up doing. I think a lot of guys need to understand that. Yeah, you, you might say you're going to go back to school and you may even go back to school just because you need some money, right? I think a lot of guys do that. They end up saying, I'm going to go back to school. They kick the can, they're out. So they just apply to whatever program, they waste their GI Bill. They don't actually have something that they care about or something that they want to do because they didn't make that decision early enough. And now they're just living off the last of their BAH and don't really have a clear guide path forward. Um, so 100%, you have to make the decision while you're in, you have to decide what you want to do with your end. You have to kick the tires while you're still in because your safety net is the military, right? They're going to pay you every first and 15th. And, and that is the safest thing you can have. So it's scary enough leaving that for something that is not guaranteed, right? While you're in, you need to use that to build whatever the guaranteed next step is. Yeah. That's, we talk about that all of the time. The, the military is uh, a very safe structure to operate within because yeah. everything is provided for you. And the moment that you're responsible for providing for yourself and for your family, it gets real scary real fast. When I get it, like most, most enlisted, they join at 18, right? They left mom and dad to go into the army. The army's then mom and dad takes care of them. You don't have to worry about housing. You really don't have to worry about any of that stuff. That is probably the number one concern of every civilian, right? Like most civilians are worried about how am I going to provide a roof over my family's head? How am I going to put food on the table? That's Maslow's hierarchy of need. That's number one, right? And so if you're in the military and all you're worried about is really just what what's next. And, and I mean, don't get me wrong. The military has its own headaches, right? Like we don't know what we're doing tomorrow most of the time, but you do know you're always going to have a place to live. And so I think guys don't necessarily, I mean, maybe take that for granted. And it's a very serious thing that provides a lot of stress. And so we talk about a lot of the stresses and, and issues that veterans have. In my opinion, majority of them are not PTSD from deploying overseas. Majority of them are exactly what we're talking about now. It's that transition stress of getting out of the military, figuring out what your purpose and passions are, and then figuring out how to also provide for your family and to either fulfill those purpose and passions or to find a job that provides you enough where you can fulfill them on the side. Yeah, that's right. 
So what was it like to get that operations experience as a civilian in a civilian organization? Obviously, you had ties to the military and was serving military community. Uh, but what was it like to get that experience on the civilian side within a hierarchy like that? And then to scale that hierarchy pretty quickly. I mean, honestly, I think everything I've done since the military has been very strongly just based on what I did in the military. And so very, I mean, you, you do the exact same thing no matter what organization you're in. But it's all just about how can you adapt and how can you overcome, how can you adjust and how can you react, right? And whether it was nonprofit, for profit, whether it was straight up startup entrepreneurship or whether it's been side hustles, it's it's all been about that. How do you see the situation around you? How do you think a couple steps ahead and how do you plan and then react? Because at the end of the day, it's also like the military where a plane's only as good as soon as bullets fly, right? And so you can plan whatever you want, but if you can react and adjust and still come out in the end on top, that is what really, I think, defines success. One of my mentors and partners tells me all the time, as far as entrepreneurship, he his whole mindset of it, and he's a very successful entrepreneur, is entrepreneurs that win aren't the smartest in the room. They aren't the best set. They're just the ones who don't quit. It's, it's just a no quit game. The longer you can last, the longer you can endure and persevere, the, the eventual success is getting closer and closer. Yeah, that's right. How big was the, was, was FitOps when you, when you joined? In what capacity? It was like how many, like how many on staff? Like how big was the organization? Um, when we, when I first joined, there was probably five or six of us when I refined it and we actually took off and stood our own. There was two of us for the majority of it. There was two to three or four. Um, and then when we signed John Cena and we scaled it, there was a lot more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so you kind of, you, you, uh, made the organization a little bit more lean to lead it into its next, into its next iteration with the, with the Cena partnership, right? Yeah. I mean, more so because it was, when it first started, it was a expense under the performance supplement brand. Um, and it was tied to that brand very strongly. And then the goal was to make it a nonprofit that stood on its own. And so we had to cut a ton of expenses. It was operating like a, a lavish for-profit and, uh, we needed to, to operate like a nonprofit that was going to ask people for money. And so that's what we ended up doing <laughs> What was the uh, what was that transition like for you as a leader to 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 switch from thinking from a a, a profit revenue standpoint to a donations based revenue standpoint? Um, it's uh, it's not necessarily hard. It's actually something I've been pretty used to. But a lot of organizations, I think, when they first start. Um, especially if they do capital raises or if they're in the VC funded kind of world, they, they want all the bells and whistles and they want to start very big and do lots of fun things. And you see it time and time again. And I think a lot of that VC culture is kind of, uh, imploding in on itself really in a way, but, um, that's like stage one, right? It's like, we have a ton of cash. We want to make this thing look really, really shiny. And then stage two is usually like we're running out of cash. We need to either fundraise again or we need to actually become efficient. Um, and I, I think, love efficiency probably too much. 
but that is, uh, I think one of my uh, strengths as far as like, okay, how can we cut a ton of fat and, and make this thing actually profitable run for itself. And that's what I did with fit ops. That's what I did with the performance ops gym that I ran in New York and, and eventually echelon. So, all right. So I want, I want to get to echelon here so we can talk about it. So the bridge between fit ops and echelon was Bravo Sierra, right? And yes. you, you, again, same thing. You had like a plug into the military community. You've been serving the military community in a certain way. And so you came on to, to Bravo Sierra in, in that kind of capacity. Can you talk about what that transition was, was like for you from one organization kind of to the next? Yeah. So at that point I had already kind of established myself in, in the fitness world. Um, I had done a lot of work with men's health, with muscle and fitness. Um, I had left performance and left that whole brand entity. So left fit ops, um, and I started consulting a little bit for some other startups. Uh, I was consulting for Spartan race. Um, and I had met the team at Bravo Sierra when they, they actually did their launch party at my gym. Um, I hit it off with the whole team and, uh, I pretty much was like, Hey, I'd love to consult for you guys. And they were maybe two months old at that point. And they were like, we want to bring you on. And so we kicked it back and forth. I told them, Hey, my like one rule or my one kind of non-negotiable is that I'm moving back to Nashville. I had done a year in New York. I had my son was born in New York. At that point, I was working like 16-hour days. So I would be at the gym by 5 a.m. I wouldn't leave until 7 or 8. I pretty much missed the first year of my child's life. And so I was like, I'm moving back to Nashville. I'm not doing this 16-hour, 17-hour, 18-hour days anymore. Um, and that is take it or leave it. And they were like done. So I started working with them and it was great crew, great organization. They did really cool work behind the scenes um, as far as development with the military, um, which is now its own company, but we had a whole tech platform that we would aggregate all of the data points to and really develop our products with, which was like asinine for a deodorant company. But now that platform is a DOD contract. So that worked out as well. And then, yeah, we... It was really just in, on the marketing side for Bravo and developing the community, figuring out ways to develop the social, build the social, build the events and everything we were doing, influencers, all that fun stuff. Um, and just trying to make it more of a lifestyle brand because it's really hard to make deodorant sexy. Um, so like, how can we engage the military audience? How can we lean into lifestyle, lean into fitness and make this something really fun? Um, and, and in a way aspirational, like, can you make deodorant aspirational? But that was the goal. And then we, through that development project with the military, we started testing other stuff because the whole idea was like, can you develop products with the military to make the best products in the market based off of that end user? And so we went into nutrition and the first step was echelon. And so we built this, which originally we were thinking protein, but we, we kind of would send out surveys and the military was like, we want a better for you rip it. Like we love rip it, but it's, let's be honest. The ingredients are crap. It's low grade. The only place that's sold in the civilian sector is dollar stores. And if it has a military or a DOD contract, you know, it's the lowest bidder. So, you know, those ingredients in there are worth pennies. 
Um, and so we were like, let's make something that is as meaningful to the military as made for the military, but isn't a dollar store drink. And that's kind of what we kind of built. <clears throat> it's, it's funny because the, the, um, the trend of kind of better for you food and drink on the civilian side has been over the course of the last like uh, five to 10 years, you know, has kind of like been creeping up. And then the marriage of that with the need and obsession for energy drinks in the military, it's like air force flight line runs on like monsters and cigarettes. You know what I mean? Like, I mean every, everybody's just drinking giant monsters and smoking cigarettes all day, you know? And, and then it's just like this kind of, wild wild thing and so then you all come in and develop uh, and then obviously like rip it when we deploy and all that stuff but um you come in and, and kind of marry those worlds together where you understand the kind of better for you food and drink um as well as like that actual market need within the community um plenty of clean protein plenty of protein powders and things out there um but not very many clean energy drinks um how hard was it for, I mean, was it just pretty simple to look at the data and say, Hey, they're asking, we think it's going to be protein, but they're asking for clean energy drinks or was there like more of a conversation there? I mean, the beautiful thing of what we had at that point was we built that platform to about 2,600 mainly active duty. There was a mix of guard national reserves and veterans. But so we had a really strong population sample of, of folks that we had been working with for over a year telling us exactly what they wanted. And that like don't, that was by design. Like this is exactly what we were building. And so, yeah, we made deodorant, but this is what we were building was this whole sample. And so if we're like, if we're going to make something for the military and this is what they're asking for, we need to give them what they're asking for before we try and make something they're not. What is it that set you and your, and your partners apart to, to operate that way to say, yes, we're, we're selling deodorant and we're selling it through the lifestyle brand, but then we're also building a platform that's going to give us all of the intel and data that we need to build the next thing. Like what, what were those conversations like? What was the mindset? What was the approach? Like what sets you all apart from other people who don't think that way? To be very honest, it was the main founders. I was not one of the main founders of Bravo Sierra. It was um, a couple of CPG industry veterans in that regard of um, both personal care and beverage. And uh, one of my good friends, Charles. And Charles was a former Palantir guy. And so he brought the military kind of concept to the mix and personal care is super easy to get into specifically because they had all of the resources, the other two, and they knew exactly what to do because they'd both been in it for 20 plus years. Um, and then you mix that with the human intelligence side of Palantir background. And it's like, okay, let's develop products for the military. Let's give them personal care products because they have high shelf lives. So they're easy to make. And we have all of those resources. And they're easy to test and kind of pivot. Um, and then we'll test it with the military and we'll give them, because at the end of the day, if you're in the military, what you need is a shower and a bath. Like you need that kind of stuff. And we can develop really specific end user products for that. Like we, we developed stuff that never even hit the market, like crazy stuff as far as like gunshot wound care, um, 
like stuff to get sulfur off of your hands, like all that kind of stuff, like really specific for the military. All you see on the main market though is deodorant wipes, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. The, um, the military tends to be like broad brush here. Cause obviously there are actual, you know, personnel that are the tip of the spear, but like the military tends to be the kind of tip of the spear for the, for, for the general population to test things. It's like R and D for the military can then result in better solutions for the general population as well. So I think it's really smart that you all were thinking about, Oh, okay. Here's a, a smaller, but very, very, very engaged sample size of consumers that we know can get us kind of the data that we need that we can then scale um, the the end product for. That's a smart way to do things. Um, so, what was the the process for building um, for for building Echelon out of that? So, um, what, what was the like test and learn process there for the initial product line? Uh, so, the idea was like, how do we make a better for you? rip it right and so what we started off with was one we know the military community is going to be super high um caffeine tolerance and also 95 percent of other energy drinks only have caffeine and so our immediate idea was we need to make it higher caffeine so that's where we went with like 300 but we tested 350 we tested 400 um and also what other active ingredients can we add excuse me And so my background, obviously, also being in supplements, that was a lot of what we looked at, like, what other active ingredients can we take from pre-workout to put in a can? And so, I mean, you have other brands that are just really using that for a marketing intent. But when we did it, we did it with the military end user. And so we're like, we need to make sure this is actually functional. And and that's what we did. We did 18 iterations before we even dropped anything on our website. And because of that, our first drop like sold out in, I think it was like an hour. Our second drop, we doubled it. It sold out in like 45 minutes. Our third drop, we doubled it again and it sold out in 20. And that's where we're like, we have something here. Like this is going to be successful. And um, yeah, and then right after that, I mean, we already had Bravo Sierra and Aphis, So it was a very easy conversation to say, we're launching an energy drink. We've been working with a lot of folks in the community and we think this is going to be successful. We want to put it in every Aphis in the world. And, and from there, we also, uh, started conversations with GNC and, and GNC was extremely interested in launching it in every one of their stores. And so we did civilian exclusive with GNC and we did a military global launch. What is the power of those like existing relationships? So <clears throat> I, I kind of want to jump back to the, the Bravo Sierra company party at your gym, right? You just, you kind of, kind of glossed <laughs> over it. You said, um, you said I hit it off with them and, um, I asked them if I could consult with them, right? So there's that kind of like immediate acute relationship building piece. And I want to hear your approach to that at that time in your career. But then there's also the relationship sustaining approach where you've built a relationship with AFES with another product line. So you have that existing relationship. So you're able to then go speak to AFES and say, here's what we're, you know, everything you just said, right? Like, so there's two different things. There's that kind of initial acute relationship building approach, which I think a lot of, of people in our audience want to learn how to have a better mindset around that. But then there's also, once you've done that, how do you sustain those relationships over time to make sure that you're giving them what they need and you're getting from them what you need? 
can I jump on this from my phone? Yeah. Okay. My computer is about to die and I, oh, sure. I want to get to that question before it does. Yeah, man, go for it. All right. Sorry about that. My, yeah, for some reason, my charger is not charging and I don't know why. All right. So we had some slight technical difficulties, but I think we can just kind of roll back into that. The question I was asking was, you know, there's two, and, and we talk about this on the podcast a lot, like the difference between networking and relationship building, that networking is a very clinical way of looking at it, although it is, you know, a good word to use and it is a good concept, but it tends to remove us from the the humanity of that process. And we forget that it's a mind to mind, heart to heart exercise. It's not just a, hey, let me add you to my LinkedIn network. So I have X number of, of contacts and followers that will, you know, get me an opportunity. It's like, well, how do I build relationships with these people? There's two, two ways that happens, right? There's that acute moment where you ask a question or you make a statement or you inject yourself into a conversation and you initiate that relationship. And then there's the sustaining of the relationship where you've developed a partnership. In this case, we were talking about with AFES where you have your product on base at AFES. And so you're able to then talk to them about this other product that you want to bring to market through a sustained relationship. So can you talk us through those two different ways of approaching relationship building one that acute moment and then to that kind of sustaining approach yeah and i actually love how you put that and i think the humanity point of it is exactly what matters i've never built a relationship with business first if that makes sense i mean there's always business in the mindset um but whether it's person to person or b2b right if you make the only thing you care about your self-advancement or or business, it's an immediate turnoff, even if, if it is a business transaction. And I've always gone into deals and, and partnerships with that same mindset. If someone comes to me and immediately the first thing they, they do is put their hand out, like that's not someone I want to work with. It's, it's human nature. If all you see when someone comes to you is what they need or what they want, then you're immediately like, okay, this person has an agenda and it's not to better me, it's to better themselves. Um, and so any kind of relationship you build has to go with, what can I do for them, right? Even if you do have an agenda, right? In business, it's okay to have an agenda. You want your business to be successful. You're looking for opportunities to build it. But you're going to get a lot farther if you care about who's on the other side and if it's a mutual and not just something you're going to win up. <clears throat> so whether it be developing relationships with other people. Like you said, when I went to Bravo Sierra and I was like, hey, I would love to consult for you guys. It wasn't, I need a job. It wasn't, I need to make more money. It was, I think you guys have a great project. And I care about what you're doing. I care about the community you're serving. And I think I can help you do it better. Right? And, and it, that's the same thing I do with my relationships in the fitness world. I think... People get so confused in the fitness world. I know we're caveating a little bit, but it is a it is a direction that probably a few people in your audience might want to go. So it's worth talking about. But if you want to get into training or if you want to get into anything that's servicing people and anything that is going to have a social media profile, which is pretty much everything now. But if you are just concerned with ABC, right? I have to go ABC. I have to go ABC. I have to do the job but you don't understand the greater environment around it, you're not going to be that successful. And so like getting into fitness, I'm not the best trainer in the world. 
I never said I was going to be the best trainer in the world. But what I did was I cared about people. And I cared about the people I was serving and I cared about helping others. And so that's a much easier conversation when you're trying to get into men's health, when you're trying to get into muscle and fitness, and when you're trying to build these relationships because it's people behind those brands too. And so if I want to be in men's health, I'm not going to get into men's health by having the best bicep workout. Like, cool, I can build your biceps. So can a hundred other trainers, but I can get into men's health by building relationships, building a presence, building my own brand and being someone that people want to be around, right? Being someone that people want to work with and being someone that people want to promote because I'm also looking to promote them. Um, and that is a lot of what it comes down to. It's, it's the who you know, right? Of the how you know. People, people like saying it's not what you know, it's, it's who you know. It's actually both. You have to know your shit, but you also have to know how to get your foot in the door. And so that is in everything business. And so it comes from the relationships you build to build your own brand, to build your own business and their brand, and also to get into the door. And right. And so when we talk about AFES, exactly, we were a known entity to AFES. We had already shown success. We already showed them that we knew what we were talking about. And now we're saying, hey, we have another opportunity to scale in a different category. We can take exactly what we've done with Bravo Sierra and we can do it again in another shell for you. It's win for you because you're getting more sales. You're getting someone who's already a known entity that you've already worked with. And we're just going to sell a different product. Why not? Yeah. And it's like the, the, the sustained relationship is built on that strong foundation of, of that kind of like initial human contact. Right. So it's, it's, it, it, one grows from the other. I, you know, I was talking about this with, I talk about this with my wife all the time because we're in the same line of work. And then I was talking about this with a, with a friend of mine. Um, I produce ad campaigns, you know, for a living. Right. And so I do it for different ad agencies or direct to brand or whoever it might be. And I was, I, I was on a project recently where um, everybody was very frustrated with um, kind of like the, the vendor that was chosen and all of these different things. And I remember laughing with my buddy. I was like, dude, we're 80% there because we, we chose a vendor who we know can execute it and our, our creative is, is good enough. The, the, that other 20% is going to be the human experience through the rest of the process. And it's my job to provide the best human experience for all of the stakeholders involved there. Not to do any creative work, not to do any logistical work, although there are elements of that. It's actually just bringing people together to have a very good human experience to move through the process that is already going to take care of itself because everybody here are like high-level operators. And so it's, it's this funny thing that we, we all tend to get like really caught up in like the minutia once you get to a certain level, right? You like get caught up in the minutia of like, you know, well, this thing has to be perfect. It has to be this way. It's well, actually what we're doing is proven. So we actually just need to create a good experience for people along the way to make sure that we're delivering on the things that obviously we said we would deliver on. Um, not sure if that makes sense or if that was even a one-to-one, but it was just kind of on my mind as you were speaking. No, absolutely. I I think one of the things people are so like in dire need for people crave for it naturally, but I think especially since COVID, right? Like people want human connection. People want to feel seen. People want to feel heard. People want to feel like they belong. And when you're building a brand, if you can build a brand where people feel like they belong, that is powerful. It doesn't matter what you're selling. That's what, that's what people mean by building a lifestyle brand. It's not actually just the external look and feel of the models or the way that the product is photographed or the way that the commercials are filmed. 
When you're building a lifestyle brand to sell deodorant, you're making people feel the way that you just described, like they belong, like they're a, a, not just a consumer, but a human person who's using the product and they become attached to that product in a very emotional, personal and relational way. And that's real. That's not, that's not bullshit. That's real. Yeah. No, it, it, people sniff out bullshit nowadays in a second. If you, if they think you're posing, if they think you're not, if you're presenting yourself in a way you're not right, it's going to kill your brand. And, and it goes, it goes back to what we were talking about, right? Like think of, you can think of just as many brands where they have the face of the brand or, or the people behind it who are at that point public figures or at least well-known in that community. And you either love them or hate them. And that's going to decide how successful that brand is. Right. And so like, if you are just hard to work with, people are going to look for an opportunity to jump as soon as they can. And so like, I, I don't want to throw like bang under the bus, but I think bang is a great example. They were the number three energy drink in the world less than two years ago. And the one downfall that they've seen time and time again is like they were in the military. They were one of the top brands in the military, right? They were sold in AFES. They were sold in Nextcom and all the military bases until they weren't. And it wasn't because they have a superior or inferior product. It was because the the channel themselves got sick of working with bank. They literally were like, all right, we're going to take Celsius because Celsius is professional. Celsius doesn't have all kinds of crazy antics. They're not hard to work with. And, and they sell almost as good. I would rather have an easier work life. I would rather have a much easier job and make almost as much money than make more, but hate talking in every meeting I'm in with you. And it just snowballed. And now Bang is completely overtaken by Celsius. They went bankrupt and now Monster owns them. <laughs> yeah. I give myself whiplash nodding along with you because that's just that's something I've said for years. It's like when you're when you're doing any sort of, you know, to bring it back into my world, anytime you're doing any sort of a client work, like the 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 deliverables matter in so much as the experience you're giving along the way. And people, creatives especially, just do not believe that. And maybe entrepreneurs don't believe it either, but it is it is it is it is as true as it gets that people will make a little bit less money to have a better long-term working relationship with a partner or a vendor or a, you know insert other human entity or group of human humans in it's 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 so true i'm i'm glad you said that we're going to definitely chop that one up and and put it out because it's so important to remind people of um on on the entrepreneurial and and even on the creative front um, so what's next? What do you work? What's, what else are you working on right now? What's next for Echelon? Like what, what's, what's, um, what's in the, what's on the docket? So Echelon is still the majority focus of what I do. Um, we actually are standing it up completely separate. And so it was an entity under Bravo Sierra and, and the parent company underscore USA, and we are splitting it off. And so that's been what I've been working on for pretty much the entirety of this year. Um, we're, getting a new fund round funding round for it. And we are going to do a, almost like a brand refresh come January. So, um, this is probably going to be the first public knowledge. Congratulations on that. But, um, yeah, we're, we're working on a little bit of a redesign for the artwork. We're going to finally drop a new skew next year, which I know has been, we've had the same three flavors for three years and that's probably our number one complaint we get. We may even change some other things about the can people have to wait and see, but, um, 
I'm really excited for where we're taking it. We're going to do a little bit of reformulating. We also, I told you, we did 18 iterations of formulation when we first launched this one. And so now we've had about two more years of people giving us feedback. And it's like, okay, well, this is what people want. And like I said before, like the consumer, like we always want to be the brand that's like, this is what our consumer wants. It'd be, we wouldn't be doing them a service and we wouldn't be worth a shit if we didn't give them what they asked for. And so we're going to do a lot of that as fill out with almost like V2 of Echelon. Of we're going to change a lot of things. Is Well, we're going to change a few things with formulation and, and continue to give the consumer a product that they're asking for. Um, and hopefully they, they rally around it and, and it blows up even more because like our end goal is in the next five years, we want to be the number one energy drink on military basis. And so that's everything we're doing right now is like, how do we get it there? And so that's, that's the focus for Echelon is, is how do we just continue to grow in the military? Eventually we'll add more channels. Um, it's worth saying because everyone for somehow, I mean, it's on our bio, but we're not in GNC anymore. So we always get people who say, Hey, I can't find you in GNC. And it's like, well, we ended our, we had our one year exclusive partnership with GNC and we ended it at the end of the year. Um, and so then we launched Amazon. And so if people are looking for it, it's on Amazon and it's on military basis. That's the only places you can find it. Um, and we're actively working to restock it because the beautiful thing of it is we can't keep up with demand. Um, but that's also going with what we're doing right now to scale. Um, yep. And then the other stuff I work on is really just like my brand. And so me and Zach, a uh, veteran with a sign who you've had on before, we do our own like random shows here with Rated Red. And so we were doing like talking, uh, like a talk show almost and at a new show. And now we're doing like a, a new one that's going to drop here soon called Military Grade. And pretty much like it's going to be us doing, trying and trying to break anything that has military grade in its in its description. Um, so that one should be fun. And then I still every now and then dabble in the fitness stuff. So yeah, I, I, my goal is to stay busy, man. Like as far as like veterans and veteran entrepreneurs and just entrepreneurs in general, I've always been at the mindset. You need to have your hand in as many pots as possible. So I have my main thing, but I have to have at least three side things going on. Right. And talk about survivability. And so I also am involved in real estate. I'm also involved in, um, other investment opportunities and, and stuff like that, because anything you make from your, your base should eventually grow other bases. And, and the whole goal is passive income. And I was not taught financial literacy as a kid. And I really wasn't taught it as a, as a young adult either. And I'm still trying to teach myself it, but anytime I can figure out something that works and add another passive income source, that is that is a goal, right? And eventually, I want to not be not to have to work. Yeah, that's. Uh, I'm also learning those lessons, and also have the similar lack of foundation there. And actually, bringing on a few military financial and just financial experts in general here in the next couple of months to chat about some of that stuff and end up get. I'll probably end up getting pretty vulnerable about some of that stuff because it's it's a it's a it's a weird thing for us or for humans. And then especially for us in our community, we don't like to admit that we don't know things that we're not prepared for things. And finance is a, is a huge piece of it. And, um, and if you want to grow and be successful as a creative or as an entrepreneur, uh, or, or just as, as somebody operating at a high level within an organization, those are important things to know. So I appreciate you dropping that in as well. Um, so I had another question. I want to respect your time. I had another question I want to ask, but would love to have you back on when the brand refresh happens and can tease people. I want to ask about um, you integrating with CPG veterans, you know, cause it's like something we talk about on the, on the podcast all the time is 
while those of us were fighting the GWAT, there are other people that were back home developing skills that we need to learn from and integrate with and understand how we can work in concert with other people. Not everybody has to have the same experiences to see success together moving forward in business. Um, so if you're open to it, we'll have you back on when the brand free refresh comes along and we'll, we'll, we'll open with that. But um, I've been ending each episode with, with kind of an open-ended question. Um, and it's it, it, what's on your heart and what's on your mind for our community right now, whether it's a piece of advice, something you want to get off your chest or something you want to reiterate from, from what we've talked about here, what is on your heart and what's on your mind? Yeah, that's, that's a heavy finisher, huh? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think for this audience, my biggest thing is the veteran community is an amazing community, right? But one of the downfalls is we, we eat our own. And I think me and Zach talk about that fairly often. But we are the first ones to talk shit about each other. We're the first ones to say someone isn't going to make it. Um, and I've done it myself, so I'm not innocent in that world, but it's something I work on. But like when we talk about supporting our own community, it starts with how can I support this dude that I, maybe I was in my, it was in my unit or this, this guy who is just putting himself out there. Right. Like I remember when I first started putting myself out there in fitness, it was my own like friends per se who would talk the most shit um and i know guys go through that and i know it's a reason a lot of guys don't put themselves out there a lot of guys won't start that podcast won't start that business because they're afraid of what people are going to say about them and so i think the first uh part of it is fuck what people say about you people are only going to talk shit if you're doing stuff they're also afraid to try so if you think someone's going to talk shit because you're trying something that's even more of a reason to do it and then also don't be that dude talking shit. Look for how you can support your friends. Look how you can for how you can support other veterans rather than going and buying some already established product, right? If you're going to buy, and I mean, this is my own example, but if you're going to buy an energy drink and you're going to go buy Monster just to spite Echelon or Jocko or Kill Cliff or whatever it is, right? Even though you may not even love Monster, like that's fucked up. If you're going to go buy that coffee brand, because when you could be buying this coffee brand, like whatever it may be, right? If there's an opportunity for you to support a veteran brand, a made in America brand, whatever it may be, but you're trying to save $1, that's fucked up outside of just talking shit about someone who's trying to actually build something. Will said, nothing to add. Completely agree. Uh, where can people find you? Where do you want to drive traffic? We'll link out the Amazon store for Echelon, but where else can people uh, find you? Where do you want to be tagged? Um, I mean, honestly, I, I, I'm on Instagram pretty much only. Um, and I'm barely on Instagram. Uh, so my, my Instagram is real Eric Bartel, but I would much rather have folks just go check out Echelon. Um, echelon underscore USA, pretty much on all the platforms, and uh, in their Instagram's fun. They share a lot of memes and and reels, and uh, yeah, we're on Amazon. We're on we're in pretty much all of the military shopettes, if, unless we're out of stock. But check us out. Awesome, we'll do, and we'll collaborate with Echelon on these posts and uh, and and link everything out in the bio. Eric, appreciate your time. Looking forward to doing this again, man. 
Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. We'll see you. Bye.